Good afternoon and welcome to another uh, episode as we deal with the preacher. Let's talk about it. I'm going to deal with uh, several subjects that have to do with preaching. Uh, I always want to say and want to make sure that we understand that praise and worship is necessary before the preacher. Because somebody has to plow up the ground or get the ground ready so that when the seed is planted in the ground, the seed is ready to reproduce. And sometimes we make the odd mistake of trying to preach when an atmosphere for preaching or when an atmosphere for receiving has not been created. Just as a farmer does whenever he's getting ready to plant seeds, he doesn't just go across and start planting seeds. He wants to make sure that the ground is ready to receive whatever he's getting ready to plant. So it becomes necessary for us to understand the role of praise and worship, the role of creating an atmosphere that is ready for people to receive. We've got to remember, uh, and I believe it was Elizabeth uh, Axtimer who Helped us to understand all kind of people are coming through our doors. All kind of people are waiting to hear the message. And as they come to hear the message, we've got to make sure that we give it in such a way that people are ready to receive it. So what we want to do is make sure the ground is plowed up. Second thing we want to do is make sure that we study and the Bible says to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So in order to do that, we've got to make sure we have done some preparation. Nobody wants to, nobody should, let me change it. Nobody should get up and uh, just go to cold preaching or uh, you haven't spent time in prayer. You haven't spent time asking God who your audience is going to be, who's going to be there, and what message they need to receive. Because God knows who's going to be there. We want to make sure that what we have done is we have prepared ourselves to release the Word of God. And we don't just study the day before in order for us to preach a message. But our lives should be so consecrated and our time should be so well spent that when we get ready to release the message, the message is ready to be released into those vessels who have come to receive it. So we want to study and our studying is so that we can receive inspiration, so that we can receive revelation and so that we can decipher information. Because sometimes preachers have a tendency to give too much information and not everybody is ready to receive or on the level of a lot of information. But we want to make sure that in the message that we're giving revelation, we're giving inspiration, we're giving information, and that at the end of the message, there is what we call demonstration. So those are the things that are very important for us as preachers. So we have to have a time to study. Normally, uh, it is good for preachers to have their own habit of studying. But I want to suggest to you a habit. Uh, you know you have to preach, and you have to preach in a week. My suggestion to you would be to take that scripture and read it at least five times times. Read it at least five different times. Sometimes it's good to read it in different translations, the New International Version, the Good News, 
uh, the King James Version, the New King James Version, but read it four or five times so that that message actually gets into your spirit. And then by the time that message is in your spirit, although you may have a written manuscript, the spirit knows how to bring out of your spirit what the people of God need. You don't necessarily have to be so disciplined that you hold yourself to a manuscript. But I will say this, that a lot of people have to stay on manuscript in order to uh, carry out their message. We want to make sure that what we're not doing is we're so programmed that we program God out of our uh, uh, dissertation, out of what we're given. So we want to make sure that we have given time to study. I am a witness that if you study what you have studied, what is on the inside of you, what is down deep, will come out. You will be surprised if you lean and depend upon the Spirit of God. So we got to learn how to master our manuscript and how to leave it when the Spirit of God says leave. The worst thing in the world is for a person to uh, be in the middle of a message or be preaching a message and have an exit and not take it. We got to learn how to take the exit because sometimes God does not intend for you to preach the whole message or he doesn't intend for you to go to the end of the message. He intends for you just to give what you have given and just to be finished. There's no rule that says I have to cover my whole manuscript. I have to cover everything that I have written. I have to go over everything that I have down. So we want to make sure that we're open to the spirit of God. And that comes through prayer. That comes through fasting. That comes through discipline. And that also comes with time because not everybody is able to do that. Some people are too afraid. So they stay with their manuscript, but we don't want that to be one of our mistakes. So there's a proficiency in the word and the word uh, of God grows. It expands. It's not just the word of God is never uh, just one thing. God knows how to give you revelation out of the reference or the information of what you're reading. And uh, the, the day of open your mouth and the Lord to speak for you is gone. People that are sitting in the pew, they are ready to receive the word of God. Some of them know the word of God better than we know the word of God. Some of them are, are so encapsulated by the word of God that when they are encapsulated by the word of God, uh, they don't really need us to decipher. So they're looking for something new. And that's uh, very important when we're reading a text, because when we're reading a text and we're looking at that particular text and uh, it is a text that everybody has heard, it's a text that has been preached, well preached. They're looking for what is different about your message. Uh, one professor uh, said uh, you are. When you're looking at the text, looking for the needle in the haystack, you want to be able to give something, a revelation, a outlines, information uh, that nobody else has given because you don't want to just be preaching the same thing that everybody else is preaching. Uh, that's, that's following commentary. But we want revelation. We want information. We want something new. We're looking to hear what the Lord has given to you. What is the revelation? What has God opened to you? What has God showed you that is different? What do you see in this text or in this scripture that we didn't see? 
So God wants to give us revelation. So the days of open your mouth and the Lord will speak for you are gone. And in, it, in every story, we've got to realize there's a fugitive. In every story, uh, there is a character. In every story, there's somebody who's getting themselves in trouble. In every message that we preach or text that we preach, there is something uh, that we can find. Uh, I remember as a child following uh, the cartoon, The Road Runner. Uh, and if you know anything about that, it says, Road Runner, the coyotes after you. Road runner, if he catches you, you're through. And I enjoyed uh, so many times because every time I thought that the road runner was uh, uh, in trouble and that the coyote was going to kill him or destroy him, the road runner found some kind of way to get out of the situation. And that's what we want to do. We want to look at the fugitive, but we want to point out the fact that uh, the fugitive uh, some kind of way gets out. Uh, he some kind of way goes into uh, inside of the phone booth and he, he transitions or he changes. Uh, there has to be a happy ending to your story. Please remember that when people come to church, people are already beat up. People are already frustrated. People have already dealt with the bad news. People have already dealt with trouble. We don't want to beat up on people because the gospel is good news. It is good news. It's not to beat up. It is not to tear down. It is not to break down. Uh, the Bible itself is not even written to the sinner, but it's written to Christians. So we want to give some type of hope at the end of that message. There has to be a way out at the end of that message. There has to be some kind of uh, deliverance at the end of that message. And we want to make sure that when we're preaching that we deliver that message that gives to us a way out. Uh also realize you cannot give everything in your message. You can't preach uh, 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 every revelation that you have about a particular scripture. Some people write down the things that uh, stick out to them and they go back and they find may find three points or they may find six points or, or something that they want to bring out and make their highlights like an outline. And some preachers have a success with that type of uh, ministry. The other thing that you want to remember is you don't want to give everything up front. Uh, you, you're trying to gradually get to the end of your text, gradually get to your point. What is the point of your message? What are you trying to convey? Uh, you want to get everybody's attention. Well, we look at the text where John uh, is with Lazarus and uh Jesus is friends with Lazarus, uh, but when he speaks to him, he says, Jesus, your friend is sick. Your friend is dying. Uh, so what he's trying to what we're trying to do is point out the fact that that uh, there is a relationship between Jesus and between Lazarus. But when he finds out that he finds that his friend is sick. He does not begin to move. He does not get in a hurry. Then they come back to him and say, Lazarus is dead. And Jesus' response, which is an off response, a crazy response, but it is something you can deal with in the text. But he says, Jesus says, and I am glad. 
So when we look at things like that, those are the kinds of things we want to pull out of the scripture because Jesus is close to not only Lazarus, but he's close to Mary and Martha. Uh, but he acts like when he first hears of this news that he doesn't care. So we have to provide some kind of tension in the text. Why is Jesus's friend sick? And Jesus not concerned. Why is Jesus not in a hurry? He stays at Mary and Martha's house. Surely if Jesus was going to be in a hurry for anybody else, he's going to be in a hurry for his friends. But you have to go to the end of the text because when Jesus says, I am glad, he is actually referring to the fact that this is an opportunity for God to send healing and for everybody to see it. But the tension comes in the text when Jesus says, I said, Lazarus is sick, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. So we want to work things like that and work the tension that's in a text. Because Jesus is close to them and he doesn't care. That provides the tension of the text. But what's the needle in the haystack? What is the point? Uh, that doesn't come to the end of the message. Uh, this was done so that the Son of God might be glorified. This is done so that the people listening might understand that this is necessary. And Jesus then also has the opportunity of introducing to Mary, to Martha, to the folks that are around that I am the resurrection and I am the light. No man, no man can live unless he comes through me. So Jesus is about to reveal to his friends who he is. His friends only thought that he was Jesus. They didn't know that he was the resurrection. They didn't know that he was the light. They didn't know that he was the life. And so since they did not know that, Jesus has to introduce himself to Mary and he has to introduce himself to Martha. He has to reveal, there has to be a revelation of who he is. And there can be no revelation if there were not a situation. But the situation provides the opportunity for Jesus to give revelation. So, as he begins to reveal himself, you got to understand that you have revelation. Uh, Jesus, he's about to put his friends into trouble because his friends have friends who are looking at them and saying, is this how Jesus acts towards his friends? And so with that, it then offers attention, but it offers a relationship and it offers a reality for people who have certain things that they believe or certain attitudes that they have towards friendship. Friendship should mean that you drop everything that you're doing and come to where I am. But Jesus recognizes that this is an opportunity for me to reveal who I am. He's about to put his friends in trouble so that they can understand the revelation of who he is. Jesus wants Lazarus. He wants Lazarus to die. He wants Lazarus to leave because if Lazarus does not leave, Jesus cannot reveal who he really is. So then in our text and our preaching, what we want to do is, first of all, we want to present the problem. What is the problem? Jesus 
stays there, although his friend Lazarus is dying. Uh, he could not necessarily have to be concerned about Lazarus, but he should be concerned about Mary and Martha. And Jesus is not concerned with how their friends are viewing them. So we present the problem, but then we make an argument. When we make an argument, we want to give our points and we want to help people understand, okay, Lazarus is sick, then Lazarus dies, but Jesus does not go there anyway. Some people may add to their message right there. He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. But Lazarus is dead. The scripture even says, by now he stinketh. He's in the grave. He's been wrapped with grave clothes. But when you understand that this is a post resurrection story. It is getting us ready to understand that if God can raise Lazarus from the dead, surely he will have no problem in raising his son. So we present the problem. We make the argument, but then at the end, we want to make sure that we give the solution. We never want to leave people with an argument. We want to leave them with the sol solution. Believe on me. Believe that who I am. Believe that I am the resurrection and I am the light. And he that believeth on me shall never die. We want to give the solution. So the greatest preaching moments come out of our experience. They come out of our struggle. They come from things that we've gone through. And a person who has witnessed or who has gone through the depth of a loved one at this point can really work this text because you know the feelings of loss. You know the feelings of losing. You know the feelings of receiving the news about someone's death. You know uh, what what uh, COVID has done to you. So it then makes for you a better message because when we are preaching out of our experiences, when we're preaching, out of the things that we've gone through when we're preaching to help someone uh, to relate to, I always try to make sure whatever I'm preaching that the scripture is relatable, that somebody can can understand what's going on in the text. Have you ever dealt with losing someone? Have you ever dealt with the news that your loved one is gone? Have you had to deal with COVID? Have you had to deal with death? Do you? But do you also realize that death is not a finality, is not a final thing? Because, behold, Paul says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But that doesn't help our text. It, it actually puts pressure on us because now we've got to look and try to figure out what situation Lazarus is in. He is in the grave. He's been wrapped. Uh, he, he has been prepared for death. Uh, you've also got to look at the customs of the time, because when you look at the customs of the time, you will recognize that when they prepared a body, it was for finality. So to them, the belief was there was no coming back. But when you understand whose you are 
and whom you serve, you begin to understand out of every situation, there is a way out. But it is your struggles. It is your personal experiences. It is what you have gone through personally that helps you to make the text and preach the text because it allows you to preach it from a vantage point that others may not understand. So to create the tension, there has to be an argument. Uh, but our purpose is to draw a picture. We want this text to become alive. We want this text to become a reality. We want people to be dropped into this uh, 18th century message. And so we cannot make it so modernized that people don't realize the orders of the day. They don't realize how things were in Jewish time. They don't realize what the customs were. Notice Jesus allows uh, the, the Lazarus to be in the grave for four days. It is believed in the Jewish custom that after a person is in the grave for four days, there is no coming back. The life has left them. Uh, there is now no more life. There is no resuscitation. There is nothing else that can be done because after three days, the fourth day is the day that marks the time of this person actually having the date stamped on their grave to show that they are dead. They're beyond life. There's no hope that everything has been exhausted. But look at Jesus because Jesus comes in this particular text when there is no hope. Jesus shows up when all hope is gone. Jesus shows up while they are eating potato salad and while they're eating the chicken that has been brought over, while they're eating the ham that has been brought over. And then one of the sisters has an attitude because she wants to know, why are you showing up now, Jesus? Can I also submit to you, not only did the sister have an attitude, those friends who were there that were mourning also had an attitude because they wanted to know why Jesus took so long to show up. And then in the text, you've also got to remember in the Bible days, they had what we call professional mourners, professional mourners who would mourn and who would sit with the family. So here they are having the wait and they've already had the burial and Jesus shows up. But Jesus says, I am glad. And he takes them to the tomb. And then he explains, this is done that the son of man might be glorified. That's your main point. You don't have to give it in the beginning, but you've got to understand there's a reason why Jesus waited those days and did not show up until he showed up. So we make little statements that will attract people. We make little statements that will draw people in. We make little statements that will cause people to become a part of our text. We make little statements uh, uh, that will uh, cause people's attention or, or, or their feathers to be ruffled. Uh, we make little statements like some of you are one praise away from your blessing. Some of you are, 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 are one mistake away from God blessing you. Some of you, uh, uh, you've got to die before God gives you liberty. When you make statements like that, people begin to say, wait a minute, I got to die? You know, Jesus uh, uh, is talking with his disciples and he says to his disciples, uh, if you don't eat my 
flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the Bible says from that day on, many of the disciples cease from following Jesus. It is tension statements and statements like that, that, that make people, what? Now, I, I got to die? You got to die before you live. You got to go to sleep. And you make those statements like this, those tensions. So Peter was used uh, uh, was used of God uh, only because he got embarrassed. Peter was used of God only because he made mistakes. Peter was used of God only because he recognized that there were things in his life that had to be fixed. I remember a message preached by uh, Pastor Michael Bell from Washington, D.C. at one of our convocations. He preached six things that I know that God does not know. And immediately, all of our bishops and our pastors sat there and said, Oh, Lord, what, man, where is he going with this? Because surely God knows everything. God knows everything about us. God knows everything. So how can there be six things that I know that God does not know? Then he began to, after he had gone through his introduction, give us the message. There are six things that God does not know. He does not know failure. He does not know sin. He does not know disappointment to the point that we know it because in him there is no failure. He doesn't know how to fail. And you can go on and you can, you can research that. I don't want to give you, uh, information that belongs to somebody else for you to preach, but it is a message, uh, that immediately six things I know that God does not know. And there are multiple things that you know that God does not know. And so with that, uh, it created tension, but it also got everybody's attention. So uh, that's one way uh, for us to work out message, and, and that's to write everything down that sticks out in the text and then go back and figure out which ones are the important things to talk about or which ones should be my three main headers or which points do I need to make, but never make the mistake of being an overdrive and giving more information than a person is able to receive. And I say this, and although I say this, and I don't always practice this, a message should be somewhere between 20 to 40 minutes because the normal span of humans is they cannot, their attention span does not go beyond 20 to 40 minutes. And we want to deal with the different cultures in the scripture, the different times, the different customs, the uh, the different uh, mindset. What was the mindset during this time? Uh, Jesus comes after this text and he's sitting at a banquet and that's when the woman comes in and lets down her hair and begins to wash the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine one of the prostitutes from the town, one of the women of the night coming and wiping the feet of Jesus and using costly ornaments? So uh, 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 there's all kinds of tensions, but you don't necessarily have to go into this story, but you need to know the pretext, the context and the post text. In other words, what happens after the text, what happens before the text and then what's happening during the text. And we want to deal with those things because we want to preach the kind of message that is going to liberate the people of God. 
Preaching the wrong thing can kill the church. Preaching the wrong information can kill a church. Preaching information that is false or that you have made up. And I'll give you an example and then we'll close uh, this lesson. Uh, I remember preacher preaching as he was preaching uh, about Jesus and the woman at the well. And she made the woman at the well so uh, lascivious that uh, she, she uh, kind of embarrassed the whole text because she made the woman so attractive and so womanly that she dealt with the fact that Jesus was in his human emotions and Jesus was looking at how good she looked and Jesus was looking at how she was dressed and Jesus was caught up with her figure and things like that. That is to disrespect the text because the text was never, Jesus never entered into looking at how the woman looked. Jesus never entered into her body parts. Jesus was not concerned with her natural man. He was concerned with her spirit. And we never want to go so far out on a limb that we take a text. And the first thing we do is we disrespect God or disrespect the Bible or disrespect Jesus. Jesus is sitting there. He's He understands the woman's situation because he is a prophet. But then he says to her, the husband that you are with now is not your husband. He's, he's speaking futuristic as a prophet. We don't ever want to mess up a text to the point that the text becomes so disrespectful to God or disrespectful even to the woman or disrespectful to Jesus. You got to read the text, but Jesus is not trying to pick her up. He's trying to lift her by letting her know there's water. There is something else. What you've been thirsting for, if you drink of that water, you will never thirst again. So we've got to understand things like that when trying to dissimulate the text and in trying to interpret the text. So we've got to understand how important it is for us to look at a text and to study to show ourselves approved. You want to be a good preacher? Spend time with the text. Marry the text. Look at other texts that will give reference to the text so that you have the right information so that when you deliver it, somebody will be delivered from the word of God that you give. Hopefully this lesson has been a blessing to you tonight and this lesson helps you in your preaching and this lesson helps you to live and it helps you to be powerful.